Well, it's good to see you this morning. It's good to be back home after spending a couple Sundays in upstate New York at the Wilmington camp and sensing God moving among us there. But like, uh, like Kathleen and I said when we were on our way home, she looked at me in the morning and said, it's time to go home. And we both said, there's no place like home. And when you pull up at home, you go, yeah, even though it was wonderful and great and grand, there's no place like home and there's no place like your own church. A couple things I want to share with you. First of all, I don't know if this has happened yet, so I'm just going to do it. I'd like to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Vanya and Noah Richard. Would you stand, please? They are newly married. Let's congratulate them. Bless you guys. I had the privilege of performing their wedding uh, last month, and what a, what a beautiful, beautiful day that was. So and they're just a lovely couple and looking forward to what God has for them. Well, I think um, the children are, are they good? No children, okay, there we go. So, in a moment, we're going to hear one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture. In fact, I would say it is the ultimate promise that Scripture gives to us and that actually in our Christian lives we long for, we look toward. As I was thinking about it, I, 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 my mind went to these words from 2 Corinthians in chapter 1. It says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes and amen in Christ. And so that is the case for us, but not just for us, but for the world, as we consider God's promises for us. Because today, we're going to talk about living a life that's oriented to hope. Now, last week, Pastor Mary introduced us to the book Resilient by John Eldridge. And in that book, he tells a story about his young sons who were elk hunting in the, in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. They were walking through the snow, and in the snow, as you know from our own experience here, you see tracks everywhere. I can tell you when the deer are walking through my backyard, and I can tell you when other things are walking through my backyard. And he talks about the fact that they saw every living thing in that, in that snow. They saw elk tracks. They saw deer tracks. They saw snowshoe hare tracks. They saw pine squirrels. Has anyone ever seen a pine squirrel? I just see the ugly squirrels we have, like I saw this morning on my front yard. They even saw the little tracks of field mice. But then they came upon a set of human tracks in the middle of nowhere, and they were, like, livid. They were upset. In fact, this is what Elder said. I was really upset. I, I thought we had this mountain to ourselves. What are these jokers doing up here? We sat there staring in disbelief at the footprints when slowly it dawned on us. They were our footprints. Which meant we'd been going in circles. I thought we were heading from point A to point B, where one of our buddies was going to pick us up in a, his four-wheel drive truck. But our tracks told a different story. And then he says this, I had no idea where we were. The disorientation threw me off balance for quite some time. 
Where are we? How long have we been wandering in circles? What do we do now? Which direction is the way out? Well, when we look to Isaiah chapter 65, those are the questions that the people who received these words from the prophet were asking. The questions that we actually find ourselves asking, perhaps in our day. Because see, these people knew that there had been better times. But recent history caused them to question. Where are we? How long have we been wandering? What do we do now? What direction is the way out of this? And I'll let you fill in the blanks for the this. Along comes Isaiah. Not with some pie-in-the-sky, far-removed, ivory-tower, rose-colored glasses, but with a shockingly, breathtakingly beautiful vision of the world made right. The world that every single one of us in here today, if you're viewing online or if you're in this sanctuary, or your neighbor who wants nothing to do with God, the world we all want. So this morning, I'd like you to receive this word the same way these people received this word. They weren't gathered in the sanctuary with their scrolls and then they all opened their scrolls together. They, this was read to them. This was declared to them. They heard it with their ears and imagined it with their hearts and minds. So today, whatever it is you may need to do, maybe you feel like you need to open a Bible or pull it up on your device to Isaiah 65, or maybe you could sit there and just listen, even with your eyes closed, and imagine this, imagine this. This is the word of the Lord. Let us imagine hearing this for the first time. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. And the one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. There will neither be harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Thank you for this word, God. Orient us 
towards it, we pray. Amen. What are you orienting your life toward? I think that's the question that Pastor Mary basically asked the last two Sundays as we looked at Ezra and Nehemiah. These words are meant for people whose feet touch earthy ground, the earthy ground of life. These, these words are not meant for people who are content to live in some kind of religiously sterile world environment. These words are meant for people who are, who are standing in the dirt. A people needing to orient themselves to hope. How do we know that? Well, it's a familiar backstory now that we've heard. We've heard it about Haggai. We heard it about Ezra. We heard it about Nehemiah. And we hear it about this part of Isaiah. Isaiah 64 says, Our holy and glorious temple where our fathers praised you has been burned with fire, and all that we treasured lies in ruins. Wow. That's the historical benchmark. Don't make the mistake of taking Scripture and cherry-picking the verse to make it work for you. You have to pull it out of its context, and that's the context. That's the historical benchmark for these people. Where the events of the world were unfolding, and, and they even say, they go on to say, he does not answer. It seems like God is silent. That is the worldview of these people. That's the worldview of many people today. Not just people somewhere out there who want nothing to do with God, but even those of us who have given our lives to God. Sometimes we step back and go, where are you and why do I not hear you? And we look at the context of our world and we wonder what is going on and we ask those questions where are we? How did we get here? Where's the way out? It's the same for these people. It's the same for us. But here's the deal. It sure seems like God is silent sometimes, but God is not silent. He wasn't for them. He's not for us. But you see, his word to us does not begin with where we want it to begin some of the time. You see, we want it to begin to the, to, at the place where things are going to be better. Or we want, we want to get back to normal if there ever was such a thing. I'm not so sure there's ever been something we call normal. I think normal is the place where we say, that's where I feel most comfortable. That doesn't make it normal. But, but I think that's where we think the Word of God is to start for us. It's to start at the place that, that I want it to be, the way I want it to work, the way I want it to fit. But that's not where this place of orienting our hope actually begins. There's a different starting place for hope. It's very obvious, but, but you know, I, ma I made a statement a couple Sundays ago in that place in upstate New York that I said this, that many of us, I know I have at least, maybe you have too, sometimes we actually live as functional atheists where we declare God, but we function in life without God. 
right? Just think about that for a moment. This isn't a, this isn't a condemnation. This is solidarity, <laughs> right? Or sometimes we're functionally acting as if we're atheists. That's why the starting place of hope is very obvious, but, but not always that easy. We see it in verse 17. This is what God says. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. So if, if you want to live into the hope that God has for us in these days, the starting line for that is not looking out. Not even looking out and saying, how do I change this? Or how can this be better? Or what can I do to these circumstances so that it's not so hard? Or even look at my world and say, we should do this because make the world better. Or what about this or that? It's not the starting place for hope. It's not looking out. It's looking up. It's not looking out at the world to see what it has to offer us or to see how it will satisfy us or to see how it will make us more comfortable. We all want this vision that I read earlier. We all want it. But as Eldridge says, do we want the kingdom of God without the king? And that's worth writing down. Do I want the kingdom of God without the king? If we're not careful, we will chase after what we think the outcome should be for the good life. Or the utopia we think will make everything right, but history is littered with attempts at making some kind of utopia without God that end in failure and suffering and even death. So the key is not looking out, but looking up. It's an arresting image. We don't see it in our English Bibles, this verse 17. Our English Bible reads, See, I will create. But quite honestly, literally, it reads like this. God is saying this. Look here, me. He's saying, attention's on me. See me. What a powerful picture that is for us. The starting place for hope is the, the, the starting place for this vision of a world made right, of things gone right, of all that we see packed into these verses in Isaiah 65. Is God, the God of hope. The starting place for hope is not the outcome I prefer or want but it's the God I need, the God of hope. I don't know about you, but there are seasons in my Bible reading life where things take on meaning to me. I've shared these words with you. We're going to end the service with these words too. They've just become to mean so much more to me, more and more and more. But listen to this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace, as you trust in him, so that, read that last piece with me out loud, so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The God of hope. What is hope? Hope is looking forward with expectancy and delight, with anticipation of something better. Now think about that. 
if that's true, which it is, God then is the God who looks forward and anticipates something better. That's what Isaiah 65 is about. It's about this vision that God has for us, which we'll get to some more, but he anticipates something better. So no wonder God wants us to get fixated on him. See, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Focus here, over here. It's like God's going, over here. They're going, look at the temple. It's burned down. It looks a mess. No way is there any hope here. And God's going, hello. That's what, that's what the text actually implies to us. No wonder God wants us to get that fixated on. If God is looking forward with expectancy and delight about the future he wants to create, then I can look forward with hope. But it begins with God. Every place where I get off track on hope is the place where I get my eyes off of Jesus. Where I get my eyes off of the God of hope. Where are you looking for hope? Where is, be honest with yourself. Be on, I have to be honest with myself on this. In those places in my life where hope seems absent, and I have them, and you have them, we all have them, where we have to struggle to push our way through to the place of hope. Where are you looking for hope? A couple thoughts from elders again. He, he says we all are wanting to return to our v, v, version of the Garden of Eden making us vulnerable to counterfeit Edens. What a statement that is. And then he says this, the longing for things to be good again is making us vulnerable to all sorts of compromises. Anything that will make things good again, we're drawn to sometimes, no matter the compromise. Trying to find the most religious Com comfortable religious experience. Trying to find that place of Eden that's our version of Eden. By the way, you know, every utopian vision of the world is an attempt to try to find our way back to Eden. A counterfeit attempt. So where is it? Where am I looking for this hope as our world is starving for hope, we are tempted to look at the counterfeit hope offered in, in careers and coins and relationships and real estate and power and pursuits, anything but God. But as Eldridge goes on, he says, no matter how promising an idea sounds, if God's not in it, you don't want to be in it either. Isn't that a good word? If God's not in it, you don't want to be in it either. So how are you adjusting to our disorienting days, this time that we find ourselves in, this world we're living in, where it seems very disorienting at times, where it seems sometimes I'm looking at the tracks and then I go, how did I get here? Whether that's somewhere physically, I know, I've shared with this before, but my car has a homing device for coffee shops, and so when I'm driving... Sometimes I'm dry. I'm going to Home Depot. Then why am I suddenly parked in front of Starbucks? Like, and I go, I don't even want any coffee. What am I doing here? Right? Sometimes I just don't even know physically. Or where I sit down and I go, 
how did I get here? In this place inside me that doesn't feel peace. Or is angry. Or feels alone. Or lost. Or forgotten. How did I get here? God wants to meet us in these times. How are you adjusting? Well, believe it or not, I think one of the best things I read about this are lyrics from the rock band U2. In their song, Moments of Surrender, they write this lyric. There's more to it. It'd be worth going and reading it. At the moment of surrender, of vision over visibility. At the moment of surrender, of vision over visibility. What does that mean? The vision we have as we look at what is visible determines what we'll give ourselves to. Let me say that again. The vision we have as we look at what is visible determines what we give ourselves to. And this glorious vision, this shockingly, breathtakingly beautiful vision of Isaiah 65, which, by the way, we also find part of it called the peaceable kingdom in Isaiah 11, which we'll get to. This glorious vision asks this question first. Are you looking at God? Are you paying attention to God? Or as Stephen Machia said that Pastor Mary quoted last week, are you practicing a preference for God? At the heart of this process of the church board reading through this book and wondering and praying, and this month, three different groups meeting multiple times, praying, just praying. That's, that's the board meeting this month, just praying. At the heart of it is this, do we have a preference? Are we practicing a preference for God? That's the starting place. Am I practicing a preference for God? If you want hope, start there. If you don't want hope, don't start there. But if you want hope, if I want hope, it starts with practicing a preference for the God of hope who's like rooting us on, who's going, here I am. To you, to me, to our neighbors, to our loved ones. Here I am, the God of hope. I see, I anticipate, I imagine, I envision this up front. When we start there, then we can hear this. Do not remember the former things, Isaiah 43 says. Or consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. My friends, we don't want to miss the new thing God is doing because we are too busy trying to reinvent the past or live in the past or return to the past. Or we want to surround ourselves with false Edens and get blinded to the true Eden in Christ. That is true of the church. That's true for each of our lives. We can't go forward as we're looking back and we can't find the true God in gods that we create thinking they'll bring us hope. Hope is in front of each of us. It's ahead of us. It is where God has already been. 
Think about that. Look at the cross and look at the empty tomb. And whatever you and I are facing, he's already been. He's already shown us that he could take the worst of life and turn it into a shockingly breathtaking, beautiful gift of resurrection. He can take the worst of life, death, and bring life, hope. Wow. That is what's so unique about a Christian-rooted faith. The resurrection of Jesus. It is where God has already been and it's where God is waiting for us. It is hope worth living for and hope living out. Isaiah 65 is a picture of the longing of every human heart. Isaiah 65's picture is not a religious picture. It's not a picture, it's not a capture of a Christian heart, a Jewish heart, a religious heart. It's a capture of the longing of the human heart. That's what Isaiah 65 is. So it'd be worth all of us going back and reading it. You read the prophet's words here, and they tell me this is, this is not the universal longing of the human experience, but it is the universal longing of the human heart. And that is worth lurking for. That is worth anticipating in the fullness of time. But what about on July 24th, 2022, at 1.32 p.m. this afternoon when it's 100,000 degrees outside? Or that phone call wasn't what you thought it would be, or that work meeting on Tuesday just didn't work, or your disappointments seem to be outweighing the hope. Whatever, you fill in the this, remember? What about now? Well, this vision also gives us help, I believe. In Isaiah 65, verse 22, we read, No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. That little phrase, will long enjoy, actually has the idea of wearing something out. We all have intense longing for life to be good. Or even for life to be good again. But like these people, we are going to get the most out of life when God's will is our way, whatever the circumstances. The vision here is the same vision Jesus tried to communicate. That's very unique to him. In John chapter 10, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So, so here's the idea of what Isaiah is saying. He's talking about getting every little bit out of life. So this vision isn't just about something out there he's going to do. It's about finding its way. Remember, these people had their feet in the dirt. This vision was for people who were standing on earthy ground where they'd look up and they'd see the burn marks, the scorch marks on the temple. The temple which signified everything that mattered anything to them. 
What is it that matters anything to you? He's saying to them, this is about getting every bit you can out of life. This is about wearing life out. Not about burning out, but about wearing life out the way it's intended to. And there is a word for that. There's another word worth writing down. And it's the word flourishing. In fact, if you take the Hebrew term shalom, we translate that peace. But probably one of the best single word translations of that would be flourishing. In the truest sense of flourishing. J.D. Walt is a former attorney, pastor, chaplain, Asbury Seminary at one time. He wrote this week, the will of God is for every person, every family, every community to flourish in life. The Holy Spirit is actively working, moving, and flowing to bring flourishing in every situation you come across every day, from your children to your parents to the in-laws and the outlaws to your friends and your enemies and complete strangers. Flourishing. I asked myself this question. I wrote this in blue ink this morning. Am I flourishing in God? Are you flourishing? Because that's what God's desire is. This God of hope who's going, I'm here. Why, why is God so insistent? Because God wants us to flourish. God wants us to flourish in his life. God wants us to wear out life by living for him. So how are you wearing out life with Jesus? How am I wearing out life with Jesus? How does my life become a life that points to the fulfillment of what God will ultimately do? Remember these words from Revelation. Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And man, these words, these words yank me and pull me forward. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. <sighs> what a great vision for the future. But here's our problem. If you go to 2 Corinthians 5.17, using creation language, Paul the Apostle says that when we take on Christ, we become a new creation. And then he says this, the old order of things has passed away. So what that means is my life now is to reflect that reality I hope for. How great is it to know that through Jesus Christ we will experience everything the prophet and Isaiah speaks of in its entirety. But does that mean we just kind of wait for it? Does it mean we kind of just check out and say, okay, I'm just hanging out. I'm going to wait. I'm just going to look east till Jesus comes back. East is actually that way. Well, hope is, if hope is anything, hope is not passive. There was a group of people that viewed um, this whole idea as a passive pastime, this hope. So they sat around. They said they were going to wait for Jesus to return. And they did nothing. Well, that group of people, you can find them recorded in the Bible in the book of Thessalonians, especially 2 Thessalonians. 
And so Paul, the great apostle, instructs them as they are waiting. He says, you, brothers and sisters, never become tired of doing good. We get an image of what this could look like in Isaiah 65. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. We, we call this vision the, the peaceable kingdom. And so you see, the pathway out of hopelessness and the evidence that we are actually waiting for the day of the Lord to make everything new is that we actually seek that reality today. Because this, and here it is, this is what's already inside us. Don't underestimate what's already inside you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't underestimate. That whole vision of Isaiah 65, that whole anticipation of what we anticipate at the end of all time, it's already inside us. Why is that? Because when we place our faith in Jesus, he's inside us. And all that he is, all the hope that he has is inside us. The God of hope is inside us. And I have to remind myself of that all the time. This is what is already inside those who follow Jesus. As you've heard, the board and staff are using this midsummer season as a time for prayerful seeking God and discerning the future before us. What is God inviting us to as we leave what was behind and seek open-heartedly the new things God is calling his church to do? The only reason we can do that is because of what's already inside us. How will we be evidence of the new thing that God is doing now? How will we? How will we, how will we demonstrate a culture of life, a culture of whole life, and a culture of death? How will we do that? Every effort at eliminating food insecurity that we partner in in our community, and a couple of those we do, every place we can create access for adequate housing, any time we could end the horrors of war, any time, any act of not choosing hate as our social media default attitude and not seeking the destruction of those unlike us, any time we can show compassion to the poor and the lonely, any time we can share our faith about Jesus with those who have lost their way, every time we do anything like that is an expression of hope that this world not only can be better, but will be better. That God's going to make it better. That he's going to make all things right. But God's inviting us to start now. So what does hope see when it looks at the world? That's an important question. Maybe here's one that's even more important for me. What does the world see when it looks at me? The possibilities of God toward the future you see, we are the people of a hopeful future because it's born within us. I said at the start that this is a shockingly breathtaking and beautiful vision, and it is. The vision of a world made right, the vision of the world humanity wants. So many different attempts 
are to try to make the world the way God can only make the world. About that vision, I leave you with this one last Eldridge thought. The secret to unhappiness and the answer to the agony of the earth are one and the same. We are longing for the kingdom of God. We are aching for the restoration of all things. That is the hope strong enough, brilliant enough, glorious enough to overcome the heartache of the world. Hear it again. That is the hope strong enough, brilliant enough, glorious enough to overcome the heartache of the world. Not a hope that just says, I can't wait to get there, but a hope that says, I want to live this now can overcome the heartache of the world. Man, I, I wish I could say to you, I got that locked down. I confess to you, I don't. But here's the good news. I have the giant God of hope living in me, living in you through Jesus. And he just keeps pulling, keep pulling us forward, drawing us forward, it's me. It's me. Stop chasing those false Edens. Stop trying to make it the way you want it to be. Just look at me. And then go out in the world as the people who have this hope already in us, this vision, this world that God wants planted in us. And wherever we find ourselves sharing God's hope, bringing to the table the grace and the mercy and the love of Jesus. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. See, look, me, I will do it. That's already inside you and me. Thanks be to God. We ask our worship team if they would come. In a moment, we're going to sing that great song, Spirit of the Living God. And as we sing that, let's pray for the Spirit, but let's pray together. Lord, we just ask now that your Holy Spirit would greet us and draw near to us. Lord, we pray that you would orient us towards the hope you have for us and through us. For us in the midst of the world and through us to the world. And God, thank you for this promise the whole series has been prophets and promises, and today we thank you for the promise of hope that's found in you. So today we pray that your Holy Spirit orients us towards hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me ask you to stand with me in just for a moment. Let me ask you to do something. Go ahead and put up Romans 15 if you can again. Can you put up Romans 15, 13? Can we find those? Okay. Let me ask you to do something. If you look at these words, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. The you, the personal pronoun you, is plural. This isn't about individualistic fulfillment. This is actually a benediction. This is actually a prayer for one another. As you're comfortable, 
and even if you're uncomfortable a little bit, what I'd like us to do before we sing, because it says in here, hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who fills us with hope, right? We're going to sing about the Holy Spirit doing what only he can do, hope. Well, let's pray this flourishing for one another. That's what I'd like you to do. I'm going to hold out my hands and I'm going to bless you as we do in a benediction. I'm going to ask you to hold out your hands to one another. And we're going to pray this to one another. Even if you want to look at somebody. Let's pray this. Here we go. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, let's sing together.